Now, from the Greater St. Peter African Methodist Episcopal Church in Jonesboro, Georgia, this is the podcast. Hey everybody and welcome to the podcast and another opportunity to spend some time with Charles Richardson as we talk about the news. And boy, a lot has happened since the last time we've sat down. Boy, has it ever. Uh, it, it hasn't slowed down at all. It, it, it's funny, it just does not slow down for us, mm-hmm. does it? No. Well, let's go to Ukraine. Okay. Uh, so the invasion now is about seven weeks old. Mm-hmm. What's your take? Well, I'm remembered of uh, William Tecumseh Sherman's definition of war. He said, war is cruelty and there is no way to refine it. And I think we are seeing the real cruelty of war that I think we, in the United States, we think, okay, we fight fair. Well, the rest of the world doesn't fight fair. Um, When Sherman came through the South and destroyed everything in its wake, it was to break the will of the people. And that is what happened. And Putin's push in Ukraine is attempting to do the same thing. But I'll tell you, I am so impressed by the Ukrainian people. I'm impressed by their uh, grit to fight back. Uh, We are, of course, helping with weapons and uh, machinery and aid. But, you know, the fact that we're saying we're not going to send in troops, do you think that these folk with these United States weapons got trained overnight? So... If you're going to effectively use these weapons, you've got to know which buttons to push. And that is my estimation that we're pushing the buttons. We're giving the intelligence. You know, we can fight wars remotely from California, from bases all over the world, and never enter the theater itself. But the drone pilots, they can do, do their thing. Uh, so I, I, would, I would tell the American people that although we are saying we are not we don't have boots on the ground. We got boots in a lot of places, and they're somewhere in, in Ukraine. Now, Putin has said that there will be um, consequences for our arming the Ukrainians. What do you think those consequences may be? Well, you know, Putin is a bully. Um, and right now, he's pretty much backed into a corner. So I wouldn't be surprised if he uh, used some sort of gas weapons. Uh, he's already using something called their, they're called uh, fusets. They're little, about two, maybe three inches long um, darts that they drop over the population and they can kill you. Uh, they don't, if you're indoors, they, but they're generally used against an infantry force. Uh, but he's already using that. He'll use the gas first and then he'll use tactical nukes. Now, what will the world do if he uses tactical nukes? Uh, that'll be a line that I, I think we have to get fully involved at that point. Um, what, th- what does that mean? Do you attack Russia? Or do you maintain, uh, just keep them bottled up in Ukraine? Um, at some point, the Russian people are going to have to be aware of what they are, what he's doing in their name. And right now, they don't. But the ones who are, from my understanding, because of their historical relationship with Ukraine and the thought that 
they're not they don't have any right to exist and and and, and, and I understand the propaganda as well mm-hmm. that it may be a just war I think but I think you know when when uh, the, the Ukrainians are doing something which I don't really agree with but um, for instance they're sending pictures of dead Russian soldiers back to their parents now that to me seems real cruel uh, but they're showing this is what the war really is about uh, and they've done that last I read about 600 uh, soldiers that were killed um, but the vast majority of Russians are not getting any news about what's happening in Ukraine. So they think it's a just war because that's what, what they're being told. And by showing those pictures, there's an old song by Sting that's, that has a lot, and the Russians love their children too. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that is, that is a common human emotion. No matter what language you, you have, you love your offspring. And... When those soldiers, whenever they re- 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 get back within the Russian boundaries and they go home on leave, what kind of stories are they going to tell? You know, there are many of them that didn't know that they were going to war. They're bringing in conscripts from other places. Um, so I, th- I think their morale is, is pretty low. But the fact is, can they hold on until Russia runs out of steam? And I'm not sure they can do that, no matter how much we send them. So Russia is the the world's second largest military, and it's, mm-hmm. and and my understanding is it's it's been somewhat exposed in the in this special operation. Well, and I'll tell you the reason they're they're being exposed. You can pump money into a military machine, but if somebody's scraping money off the top, well, that hundred million that you went for this weapon system, well, that turned into $25 million because somebody else put the rest of that in their pockets. And now it's coming up that, huh, all those tanks we bought, we're running out? You know, they weren't as big and bad as we thought they were. And uh, the other thing is that American technology is something else. Um, and obviously the Russians have not kept up. You know, so now they have to bring in a, a new general, which, who's known as the Butcher. But what I think they're trying to do with the Ukrainians now is give them too many fronts to battle all at the same time because that's sheer manpower. They don't have that. But when you have Finland and Sweden saying, hey, <laughs> NATO, <laughs> you know, we... Here yeah, I am. Out. That's right. That's right. Join me. Right. And, and the thing is, they actually can't, they can't refuse because the evidence is, you know, uh, Finland's got an 800-mile border with them. Uh, and they fought a war with them once. Right, right. So um, all the pretenses of Russia have fallen apart. And instead of making, uh, uh, fracturing NATO, he's actually put them back together with some super glue. <laughs> and they're saying, well, you know, if we don't stop him here. Um Zelensky has done an excellent job of rallying world support, constantly saying, we need more, we need more, we need more. <clears throat> I think eventually we're going to have a no-fly zone over Ukraine. Uh, we have other no-fly zones where the Russians are, are there, um, and that will impede their progress some. Um, and again, 
I think now that it's a mashup, the Russians won't know whether those cruise missiles are coming from American warships or from Ukrainian ground forces. They won't know that. You know, when you sink their their flagship, mm-hmm. you know, I say, yeah, we're we're for real. <laughs> I I see the Ukrainians will, will be come out of this almost like the Israelis, as a as a force that uh, you, the Arab states around them. We just don't mess with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know I think there, there's uh, what's that Jim Croce song? Don't tug on Superman's cape. Mm-hmm. They're finding that it's the rest of the world and Russia, and you've got Belarus, and even China is not really they're they're they're, they're not they're not supporting Russia militarily. They're still buying their oil and whatever. And if the Russians don't figure out how to export more oil and get more money, uh, it won't happen tomorrow, won't happen next week, won't happen next month. But it will change the dynamics of it. Germany's already saying, no, we've got to up our military. All the other NATO countries are saying, we've got to up our military. He's bringing the world together against him. And eventually the Russian people are going to have to make a change. So this is not, your prediction is this is not going to end well for Vladimir. No, no. The other thing, um, Tom Friedman wrote a column in the Times. uh, What do you do when uh, a nuclear-powered state is headed up by a war criminal? Mm -hmm. Uh, You can't look at anything that uh, Putin has done uh, recently that doesn't draw comparisons to Adolf Hitler. And how do he's nuclear weapons? The rest of the world is not going to communicate with him anymore. They're not going to do business with him anymore. Uh, we're going to ha- have, in time, um, we'll be self-sufficient as far as energy. The other countries, the big economies, are starting to do the same thing. So where's that money going to come from to keep your military engaged in a country that's got 40 million people? Yeah, my understanding is somebody has described Russia as uh, a big gas station. Yeah, yeah. Now, it's a really big gas station. I mean, we... I think we have six different time zones. They have 11. Mm-hmm. So it's a huge country, huge resources. But they still have to operate with money. Now, I heard a thing over the weekend where this commentator believed that this whole thing is a ruse to distract the Russian people. From internal internal issues. Um, and the fact that Putin has pocketed a pretty good amount of money himself. Um, but... You can have billions of dollars if you can't go anywhere to spend it. Yeah. You know, you know, all of a sudden, all your credit cards are no good. And Amazon is not delivering to you. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I think he pretty much screwed the pooch on this one. Wow. Well, well let's segue then uh, to uh, the slap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we have the Academy Awards. Uh, wow, it's fantastic. It's almost, almost a month, over a month ago. Uh, Will Smith is only the fifth African-American actor to win uh, Best Actor, Best Leading Actor. This is, at least to me, the grand prize of all grand prizes in, in acting. You're joining Denzel, Sidney. Forrest uh, Whitaker, <clears throat> Jamie yeah. Foxx. Uh, but you won't be remembered for that. You'll be remembered for walking up on stage and slapping Chris Rock. 
dissect that a little bit for me then. There are moments in time that that transcend. For instance, were you really paying attention when you watched the broadcast that he got the best actor? People were still reverberating from the slap. You know, I was trying to say, that didn't look like much of a slap to me. And apparently, Chris Rock said the same thing backstage, too. He said, I ain't never seen him been slapped and not leave a bruise. Um, he handled it, on, on the other hand, as best as anybody could have handled it. Well, he's selling out concerts for, oh. because people are thinking he's going to talk about and it. And he's not. <laughs> and he hasn't been. But if he doesn't have to talk about it. Everybody else is talking about it. You know? Matter of fact, I think it was Atlanta the following week. They added a show. Uh, so just by being the gentleman that he is, he's profiting from it. But, you know, you spend all of these years cultivating an image, and in 10 seconds, you blow it. You blow it. Um, I feel sorry for him. Because um, apparently he was laughing at Chris Rock's jokes, even as he was t- talking about uh, his wife. And then all of a sudden, he got the look. But here's the part I don't understand about Hollywood. If I were going to go step out on my wife, I'm not going to talk about it on national TV. (laughs) Even if we were separated at the time or whatever, um, I'm just not going to talk about it. Uh, But both of them got out there talking about it. And I think Wills might have been a little manufactured because Jada got out there first. <laughs> you know? Um, so obviously, the slap wasn't Chris being slapped. I think it was Jada being slapped. As someone said, something happened in the call on the way. Oh, yeah. Something, yeah. The punishment, um, so you can't go to the Oscars. It's a better show on TV anyway. You miss a few parties. So, you know, he caught on a lie low for a while anyway. But he'll continue to work. He's still good box office, uh, we think. You know, uh, you won't be able to play the goody two-shoes anymore. But, um, you know, I, 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 I saw King Richard. Um, it was a good performance. I didn't think it was all that good. <laughs> you know, I think King Richard could have well played himself. But it did show the drive that he had for his girls to learn tennis. And it told the story accurately of how everybody discounted him. I remember uh, uh, Chrissy Everett, when William Sisters first came on, talked about him like a dog. Mm. And she had to eat, eat those words, um, particularly when um, uh, he, he said, oh yeah, wait till you see Serena. You think, you think Venus is good. Right. I've got another one. That's right. Wait till you see Serena. Um, and, you know, Richard was a street smart guy. And he didn't mind stringing folk along. He, but he got what he wanted and got what he needed for his girls. And the rest is history. Uh, so whether or not uh, he deserved the best actor award, he got it. But he'll still be remembered for the slap. Yeah, well, we serve a God of uh, forgiveness mm-hmm. and redemption. Yeah, we do. And uh, we should not be judged by our our, our worst day many times. So uh, 
I hope that this can be an opportunity for redemption, forgiveness, understanding. And self-reflection on his part so he can... And he came out fairly quickly and apologized. Say, unequivocally said he was wrong. Uh, last I heard, I'm not sure he actually made that apology to Chris. Um, but I have heard some rumors that they have communicated. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, Chris has accepted that apology. And just go on. Whether Jada and him are going to remain an item, I have no idea. Uh, yeah. I have no idea. I'm just glad I wasn't in the car going or coming. <laughs> but a good reporter that you are, I mean, that could could be a really nice scoop. There's an interview that he has to do at some point in time. At some point in time. But I think that he, he needs to let things just slow down. And Oprah will be available. Oh, Oprah will be available, and whoever else he wants in there will be available. <laughs> Oprah's probably already said, well, when you don't want to talk about this, you let me know. You know, <laughs> yeah, it, it'll be a primetime special, right? No doubt. It's it's funny that the remember the roles that Denzel used to play, and then the one he got for the Academy Award was something totally unexpected from him. Right, and, and actually, I think sometimes you win the Academy Award, you get it for some other movie that you did. For example, I thought Denzel's performance in in Glory mm-hmm. was. Exceptional. It was, and it was. and I thought he should have won the award for that movie instead of uh, instead for of Training, training day. day, right? Uh, and his acting in Training Day was exceptional, and it was outside of his normal box. Exactly. Yeah. You know, he's playing a bad guy, and and maybe he knew he understood that 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 perhaps that's what it took for me to mm-hmm. go to the next level. To go to yeah. that next level. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that same year, Holly Berry uh, played. Uh, in Monsters Ball, mm-hmm. uh, played against what, what we may consider her, her, her type. So right, right. Yeah. yeah, that was a movie that I I watched and said, well, if you can win an Oscar for taking off your clothes, well, <laughs> knock yourself out. <laughs> well, I will not be winning any Academy Award. <laughs> Me either. Having skin in the game means being committed to the point that you're willing to place significant personal items on the line. The disciples, as described in John chapter 20, verse 19 through 31, are in a skin in the game moment. Jesus has died on the cross, and because of their skin in the game with him, the disciples locked themselves in the room, fearful that a cross awaited them if they ventured out. In these tense moments, Jesus appeared, saying, Peace be with you. The frightened disciples did not recognize Jesus until he showed him his skin in the game, the scars in his hands from being nailed to the cross, the hole in his side made by the tip of the spear. After seeing this, the disciples rejoiced. The disciple Thomas was not there when Jesus appeared. He was skeptical, saying he had to place his hands in the wounds before he would believe. Jesus appeared again in the locked room, saying, Peace be with you. Thomas only had to look at Jesus, seeing the skin in the game from the cross, to believe. Again and again, Jesus is showing us his skin in the game for us, his willingness to extend his greetings at our lowest point, his stand for us, especially when we fail to stand for ourselves and his forgiveness of us 
when we do what we think is the unforgivable. Join us tomorrow at Greater St. Peter as we look at the skin in the game that Jesus has for us in a teaching entitled, The Seven Next Words of Jesus. Worship starts at 10 a.m. Join us at 9540 Fayetteville Road in Jonesboro, Georgia, or on Facebook at GSP9540, or on our YouTube channel, GSP9540. So until then, blessings, peace, and love. So uh, let's slip to to, uh, to uh, the election. Um, early voting mm-hmm. and absentee voting. I would encourage everybody, everybody, I don't care if you voted last time or did not, check the My Voters page at the Secretary of State's office because I know of individuals who voted last time have never missed a voting since the 80s and they weren't in the system. They, they were purged. They, they, they weren't in the system. They called the uh, local board of elections and they said, well, we haven't loaded such and such yet. But if you're in the system, you're supposed to be in the system. So are you suggesting, what are you suggesting? I'm suggesting to be sure you're in the system. Okay, okay. You, you're not assigning any motives. Mm-hmm. You're just saying just, just... Just for your own edification and for your own information, know that you are in the system and properly registered. Okay. What about absentee voting? The absentee voting rules have changed. Um, you have to submit different forms now, your driver's license. Um, so be careful that you fill out the forms correctly. I would suggest that even if you're going to vote absentee, to go to the Board of Elections and have them help you fill it out. Particularly, um, for instance, I have two elderly in-laws. We're going to fill that out for them because you could... And, and, and that is legal? That, you that can, is legal, uh, okay. yes. They have to sign it. They have to sign it, but... Quite frankly, you can't read my mother-in-law's handwriting anymore. She's 88 years old. He's 90. Um, so you don't want the ballot to be kicked out for something that uh, maybe somebody at the Board of Elections couldn't understand. So um, help your elderly folk to fill it out. It's perfectly legal. There's a place on the form that you can sign that you did help them. Um, and then when you turn it back in, you also have to submit that same form of identification. So sometimes it's better just go to the Board of Elections and do it right there so you're, you're, you're good. The other thing that I'm gonna, I've voted absentee in the last few elections, I'm just gonna vote in person, either early voting or on election day. Um, but you know, there's certain people that, you know, t- to get my mother-in-law out the house takes a bit of effort. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but I have to do that early so that she's not stuck in a line. Now the elderly can actually go up front um, and get get in earlier, but you know the, the amount of days prior has changed. A lot of changes, and if people think that voter suppression is not still taking place, voter suppression has never stopped mm. since the Fourteenth Amendment was signed into the Constitution. Yeah. It's never stopped. Uh, from our inception, we have been suppressing the vote, yeah. and it's nothing has changed. Incidentally, Janice Davis, who is an election official here, she runs a precinct 
uh, is as a regular on our podcast, and we will be having her on soon. Oh, good. Having these conversations, these mm-hmm. technical conversations about the upcoming election. Yeah. But, you know, the one thing people have to remember is that your vote matters. It matters a lot. Look back at 2020 and what happened to this state when residents got out and voted. We won two Senate seats. We, if we had voted at that level in, in 16, there'd be a different governor of this state. Uh, Stacey Abrams only lost by 52,000 votes. So, and I may have used this statistic on you before. If black men had voted higher than a 40% turnout in one county, Stacey Abrams would have won the, won the election. In, in one county in particular or any one county? Um, it would, if, it had been, if it happened in Fulton, if it happened in DeKalb, if it happened in Cobb, it didn't happen in any of those. So uh, any combination, if they had just voted at 40% or above, she'd be the governor. Wow. There is a judicial race uh, for the Georgia Supreme Court mm-hmm. uh, that is going on. Let's talk about that a little bit. You've got Veronica Brinson uh, challenging uh, Verda Colvin. Verda Colvin was appointed to the to the uh, seat 13 months ago. I think something like that. I, I think, well, she, full disclosure, we just did a podcast with her. I just did a podcast mm-hmm. with her. So she was sitting in the seat that Charles is sitting in right now uh, about uh, two hours ago. And she said she's been on the court for eight months. Okay. So before that, she had been appointed by Nathan Deal to the Court of Appeals, State Court of Appeals. Um, so now she's at the Supreme Court. Uh, she has to run because she was fulfilling the unexpired term of the justice that retired. Um, I, I don't think there's a much of a race there. Uh, Verda is a first-class jurist. Uh, first and, class and, she, and she's African American. African American. And she's running against an African American woman. Or let's say the African American woman is running against her. <laughs> but I'm I'm constantly amazed at people who run for office with baggage that is well known baggage. You know, we all have skeletons in our closet, but some skeletons have meat on the bones, and. Quite frankly, Miss Brinson, and I've known her most of her adult life. She's had some legal problems of her own. She's been ordered to jail on contempt of court. Uh, she's been removed from uh, a murder case that she was the uh, defense attorney uh, because she, her defense was ineffective. Uh, why would you want to bring all that back up? You know, it just. Now, granted, judicial races are much more cordial. Than normal political races, and they're nonpartisan, and they're nonpartisan. But the fact is, if you have a reputation, somebody's going to know about it, and good or bad, good or bad. And and so so we've got that reputation of her opponent. Let's talk about the justice. Um, I would encourage anybody that is interested in Verda Colvin uh, to Google 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 her name <clears throat> first, and go to YouTube. And look at a letter of when she was Superior Court judge talking to young people in her courtroom. And if that doesn't get you to understand what kind of person she is, I can't do any better than that. But she's a super person, super individual, and will make um, this first full term, I think, make 
everybody in Georgia proud, but particularly people in Macon proud. Hmm. Ironically, when we have been doing these podcasts, we would start off talking about COVID. Mm-hmm. That, that would be the first thing we talk about. We would, right. before After we say hello, let's do a COVID right. update. We have been talking for, I don't know, pretty near 15, 20 minutes now, and I'm we're just getting to talk about COVID. Well, I, I'm, I'm hoping that we don't have to talk about COVID that much, but as we sit here, Georgia has changed its data reporting rules, meaning instead of reporting daily totals, they're going to report weekly totals. But giving it weekly does not give us a better picture because because the, the movement is, is uh, you can see shifts. You'll, you'll see shifts, but the daily reports, you can see shifts in particular areas faster. So so why do you think this, the, this change is being made? Well, I think people are COVID tired, uh, but we may not with a, with a, they're changing the reporting rules all over the nation. But you're seeing, um, for instance, Philadelphia. They're going, they went back to a mask mandate. So how quickly will we be, re- be able to respond if the report is from last week instead of yesterday? But that report is, I suspect they're still taking daily numbers. It, the, it, it's the, it's the reporting requirement, is that what we see as the public, or do you think public health officials still are looking at it on a day-by-day basis? I'm pretty sure that the public health officials are doing it on a day-by-day basis. I would hope so. But as far as going able to go to the Department of Public Health and seeing what's happening in Bibb County yesterday is easier for me to keep track of what it what this was last week. You know, so uh, I have a habit. I get up in the morning, I check the COVID. And the uh, BA2 strain, which is a strain of the Omicron, uh, we could see a surge and not know it's a surge for a week. And then that puts us in danger. We had at the Gridiron Dinner the other week a number of members of Congress and also some cabinet officials uh, contract COVID, including Nancy Pelosi, who I believe is 82. Mm-hmm. Now, these folks were fully vaccinated and boosted. And from my understanding, nobody has been hospitalized. Nobody has died. Right. Nobody's gotten really, really sick. Right. So have we gotten to the place now that COVID is... You don't want to get it, but you're certainly like you, if, if you've been vaccinated and, and, and vaccinated, I should say, mm-hmm. and boosted, you're not going to die. No, but you never know who you breathe on that's in your household or people that you come in contact who you might endanger. That's why they're still saying you should quarantine yourself. Because while, yeah, you'll be, you'll be fine, you know that you got both shots, you know you got the booster, and some folks like me is going to get the second booster this week. But you don't know about the guy next to you, or the woman next to you, or the person next to you that has uh, has a, a compromised immune system. So you're really doing that for other people. Uh, yeah, I, if I if I catch it, I'm good, I think. Um, but you know, I got diabetes. You know, who knows what'll happen? But I still know that over 500 folk are leaving here every day from COVID, and I don't want to be one of them, and I don't want to <laughs> cause someone else to catch it because I've been slack. So 
is the cautionary tale for us then to do this? Do we continue to wear a mask? And so we're both indoors right now. Um, and I did not walk in, and somebody's going to kill me when they hear this. I didn't walk in with a mask on. Neither did I. We're both guilty on that. Um, I think we're confident that we are uh, survivors, <laughs> but I know I've got my two masks in the car, and if I check my pockets, I probably have one in my pocket. Um, but again, that's to try to protect other people, not necessarily myself, uh, because I would just be sick to death, uh, no pun intended, if I knew I gave it to somebody. And you have elderly uh, in-laws. Right. Right, and um, you know, and both of them are not in perfect health. But it's hard to be in perfect health when you're 90 and 88. <laughs> you know. So, I think we should still be cautious. I think we should be aware that COVID is not gone. That yeah, maybe it may be something where we have to take a shot every quarter. Don't know, but if that's what it takes, I'll take a shot every quarter. Yeah, absolutely. So. Uh, 75 years ago, on the 15th of April, um, a, a young man from Cairo, Georgia, uh, came to home plate uh, in the uniform of the Brooklyn Dodgers, mm -hmm. Jackie Robinson. Talk about the impact of, uh, of him breaking the color line in Major League Baseball and the larger impact it, it, it has had on society. Well, I always start when we're talking about Jackie Robinson is to say that as good as Jackie Robinson was, there were other players in the Negro uh, baseball leagues that were much better, but they could not have withstood the pressure cooker that Jackie Robinson was, was put under. It needed to be a special kind of individual, which he was. Um, he had to uh, prove that he had the talent to be there because the initial thought is they're just not that good. Even though, even though many of the Negro baseball games were filled with white people. They knew how good they were. Oh, yeah. Um, but that was, that was their game. And all of a sudden you have this interloper. And not only did he face grief from fans, he faced grief from everybody, his own teammates. And other team, you know, so he had to go through, he had to go through hell, the gauntlet. And to this day, I have no doubt that what led to his early death was that kind of stress and strain. And if you read about uh, Jackie Robinson, he wasn't one to cower. No, no. Uh, yeah, the, the incident when he was in the United States Army. Right. He was not one to uh, cower. Uh, there's a book out now called True, The Four, uh, uh, the four Lives of... of uh, Jackie, Jackie Robinson. Robinson. Yeah. Um, and uh, she goes into those four different lives. Yeah, four lives, four seasons. Yeah. Right, four seasons. And he was an outstanding individual. Um, you know, you look at his high school career, and he was an All-American, even though he couldn't have that title at the time. Uh, he was a multi-sport athlete, played football, track, baseball, basketball. He could do it all. At UCLA. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that reminds me of another guy that uh, where segregation helped his career. Um, he played for the Celtics. One of the greatest defensive... Oh, Bill Russell. Bill Russell. Oh, absolutely. 
as you read in uh, 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 Wilkerson's book, he and his family were basically attacked at a gas station when he was low. Mm -hmm. And that caused his family to leave uh, Louisiana. Louisiana. To go to, to, go to uh, California. California. Yeah. Where he went to the University of San Francisco and was won the national championship. If he had stayed in Louisiana, he couldn't have gone to school there. So as people try to do you wrong, God makes a path where his purpose can be played out. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So Jackie, I think it's a, uh, he was uniquely qualified to, to break the color barrier. And he had the fortitude to do that um, and lived an exemplary life. And um, it's 75 years is a long time to us, but it's a really a short time for God. It's yeah. not even a blink. Yeah. And, and, and really, it, it is, uh, it's still a short period of time because, uh, it, because it is, you can think about it, 75 years in, even in the, in the pantheon of Major League Baseball, and I'm a huge baseball fan. Uh, look at what's happened in those 75 years. If you look at the record books, and particularly the record book for home runs, which is the, you know, kind of the most hallowed mm -hmm. record there. Mm -hmm. uh, so African-Americans have only been able to play the sport for 75 years. The number one, the number two, the number four, the number five home run hitters of all time are African Americans, and and you look at you, you look at that, and you say, "Wow, what about the other folks that didn't get a chance, mm -hmm. that didn't get the opportunity? They had the talent, but were denied." Right. Uh, so I, I as while as while we we move forward in time. I wish the society would move as fast. Yeah. And in fact, Robinson integrated baseball before the armed forces of the United States a year before were segregated, were right. integrated. Right. And, you know, we fought in every war that this, this country has been in. Um, but heck, we couldn't vote even till long after the Second World War. Um, so it's, it's the 64 Voting Rights Act. And as I get older, I do reflect, reflect on the unfairness of it all. And while it doesn't affect me, it affects my folk, affected my folk. Uh, there are things that people will tell you about now. Uh, it brings more, my mother was brought up in Arkansas, and uh, she used to tell me about some of the things that she went through in Arkansas. But it, becomes crystallized the older I get. Well, I think because of, of Jackie and Mr. Robinson, I should say, and, and, and others, you certainly stand in those shoulders. I, I mean, I, oh, grew, sure. I grew up as a, as a young man in this area reading the, the newspaper, mm -hmm. uh, reading the, the Telegraph, reading the, the old making news, and would, would, would dream of what what would it take to write for that thing? Mm -hmm. And now I'm sitting across from a fellow who, 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 who's done that, and uh, it's unfathomable that that a black man yeah. would be uh, would be uh, an opinion writer for uh, a, a paper in in in, mm -hmm. in this area, the and major it, organ, the major paper yeah. in this area. And you know, one thing I 
people would say something, oh, they're telling you what to write, aren't they? Not once did they ever tell me what to write. Because when I first went to work there, I said, the day you tell me what to write, that's the day I'm leaving. And they never did. Um, I've, I don't know if I've ever told this story publicly, but when Trump was running, our publisher said that we were going to endorse Trump. And I'm sitting there with the executive editor and him, and uh, I sort of look at her, and I said, Mr. Publisher, you, you're the publisher. You can endorse whoever you want, but I'm not going to write it. So if you want to write it, and he said, do you know what you're saying? I said, yes, I do. It means if that means I'm not working for this newspaper anymore, that's what that means. I said, I'm 66 years old. I can walk anytime. So it depends on what you want to do, but I'm not going to write it. I can't in good conscience endorse it. So have at it. About the same time, maybe the same day or the next day, was when Trump had his little revelation on the bus about grabbing people's private parts. And apparently the publisher's wife got on him quite hard for that. So he came to work the next day with a different attitude. And um, it ended up, he got canned before I left. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, let me piggyback on that just a second. I, I want to kind of go into the... In the, into the newspaper world. Mm -hmm. What job is the publisher? Does the publisher own the paper? Does the publisher... No, the publisher doesn't own the paper, except in some cases. For instance, the New York Times is owned by the uh, 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 Schwarzberger family. It always has been, but they're a publicly traded company. But the publisher, yes, by definition at that paper, is the owner. And um, corporation, the publisher can is more like the head of that facility, not of the newspaper company. For instance, we were first um, a Knight Ritter paper, then we became a McClatchy paper. The publisher reported to his division head at either Knight Ritter or McClatchy. Um, but therein lies one of the interesting things about newspapers. Knight Ritter would never tell a publisher what to do as far as journalistic is concerned. They wouldn't say, well, we're taking this position as a corporate entity. You have to take it too. That did not happen ever. McClatchy was much the same until the last days. Um, when, when, you're, when, you're, when you're leaking money, um, and I, let me take that back. Newspapers have never leaked money. They just weren't making as much money as they were used to making. For instance, for... Or the um, shareholders wanted them to make. Right. For uh, the longest time, our profit margin was close to 40%. Now think about that. Walmart's profit margin is probably 3 or 4%. I mean, we were, we were knocking it out the park. So when that, when that just say, say, drops down to 20%, people get, uh, start having a heart attack. Uh, but it wasn't that we weren't making money. We just weren't making as much as they thought we should. Yeah, but the game has changed now. Oh, it's, it's, it's changed totally, totally. And your, new, your big newspapers, your Los Angeles Times, your Washington Post, your New York Times, your larger papers are still pretty healthy. Um, but because they're doing it on a combination of print but digital. Right. Uh, 
they're con they're, they're content companies now, mm-hmm. and the, the 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 physical paper that's in your hand is a tiny fraction of what they right, do. Right. And what here's the mistake I think McClatchy made before they went belly up and bought out by a hedge fund. There were two ways that you could run a company. One, you could run it as a content company. You give people what they want, you give them what they need, and you keep them on your site. Or you could do what we call clickbait. And the clickbait is as long as you get them to click on that headline, they may not read the story, but the headline is, let's say, overhyped. So they click on it, so the the newspaper gets a, a, a like or a read or whatever. Well, that's, that's, that's one kind of pretty disingenuous. And the other is once people realize that's what you're doing, they don't click on you anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, when I left, nationwide out of the 31 newspapers that McClatchy owned, they had maybe 150,000 digital subscribers. Compare that to what the Times at the time had over a million five digital subscribers. Now they're now they're they've blown three million off, off and these are paid subscriptions. Yeah, yeah. Of which I have one, I'm sure you have one right. too. And um, as far as manpower, they are employing just as many reporters now as they were in ninety five. Now they're doing a different different things. Some of them are still print, some of them but you have digital creators, digital folk that are making sure that the right stuff gets placed in the right place. They're doing video. They're doing all kinds of things. Uh, they're doing podcasts. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, so you, ha- you have that and that transition. So I think the Times is, gonna, is, is well positioned in the future. Uh, Post is, well, the larger newspapers figured it out. Uh, but in places like Macon, we are never going to see what the Telegraph used to be. Um, so how do you... How does one consume or get local news? Um, we have a in in Macon, uh, the Center for Collaborative Journalism. Uh, Liz Fabian and uh, Laura Corley. Laura Corley uh, covers a lot of the local meetings, the school board, that type of thing. Liz covers us at the uh, Urban Development Authority. Uh, so those meetings that used to be just standard for a newspaper to cover, all of that went out the window. You know, and I'll, I'll give you an idea. I'm on the Urban Development Authority, and last week we approved 44 to, to buy 44 million, not sell 44 million dollars in bonds. And this is for that making mall project. Making mall in the amphitheater. Now, under normal circumstances, a newspaper would have somebody at that meeting all the time. Liz comes to those meetings, but no other media comes. Not the television stations, not the... Right. So here you have $44 million that the citizens of Bibb County are on the hook for, but they don't know they're on the hook for it. Now, her product, their product, goes where? It goes online. Now, a lot of the things that she, she does... She shares them with the Telegraph. Where they end up, she has no control of. But as far as uh, the Center for Collaborative Journalism puts out a little, it's making news that's electronic. So it appeared there first. Hmm. 
How, how do you consume your news? What, what sources do you use? I wake up in the morning and I, I look at the New York Times. For, well, first thing I do, I look at the obituaries <laughs> and the telegraph. Okay, make sure you're not there. And make sure I'm not there and make sure, hopefully, that nobody I know is there. Okay. Uh, then I go to the Times, I go to the Post, then I go to the L.A. Times, and generally the Chicago Tribune. First things that I go. And you, and you have subscri- digital subscriptions right, to all, for all of those. those. Okay. And the Atlanta Constitution. Mm-hmm. Um, I get a, it's called a morning jolt. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, read that every every morning. See what's going on. Keep track of the state politics. Um, and I, I cruise other social media sites, but I don't cruise them looking for news. So you want it? You don't go to Facebook looking for news? No, no. Uh, you can go there and look for rumor. But in my mind, if I see something that's of interest there, I'm going to go to the source, find out if it's true. Um, there, there are a lot of telltale signs that something is just made up. And, and what are those signs? Well, first off, first off, it's like looking for uh, how they teach you to look for uh, spam, uh, emails. Where does it come from? Does it come from a source you've ever heard of? Nine times out of nine... It does not. But sometimes even sources that we've heard of, uh, their brand has become so weak. For example, Newsweek, mm-hmm. which used to, at least for my money, used to be a, a respectable magazine that mm-hmm. I, I read regularly. That in time. Right. Yeah. Those those digital platforms are, are not as reliable as, as I once thought of them in print. Because you don't have the same... You may have the same standards, but you don't have the same talent putting it together. You don't have the same... As an editor in the newspaper, my only question is, how do you know this? And that reporter has to tell me how they know that. Did they talk to one person? Did they talk to two people? Did they talk to three people? One person's story is not a story. It's, it's, it's the beginnings of a story, but it is never a story. So if I'm, if I'm talking to the mayor and the mayor tears me something, that's not good enough for a story? Well, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to, of course, make note what he said. But if he said it, he said, we're going to spend X amount of dollars. I'm going to go to the finance office and see what that figure actually is. And you should have enough uh, sources where you can do that so that the mayor isn't using your, your outlet to spread some false information. So I always check it out. Um, I tell young reporters, you have check out everything the same way when you ask somebody how to spell their name. You realize how many t- ways it is to spell Allen? Is it with an E? Is it with an A? Is it uh, A, one L, or, or two L's? Um, so the mayor can be perfectly trying to speak truth, but he might miss it by a digit. You know, so you you want to you want to verify those numbers that that he gives you. Hmm. <coughs> okay, so so you got those digital sources that you look at. Um, what about broadcast sources? Uh, um, I I have become fond of MSNBC, um, and I do like Rachel Maddow. And one of the reasons I like Rachel Maddow is that she she gives you the source materials. She'll put up the documents, where they got them, you know, that kind of, that, 
tells but, me where, where, where she's getting her information. But does she deliver what she's giving you with a particular slant, of a particular political view of her own? Oh, I think, I think it's, it's, yes, it's slanted. Um, uh, but it's slanted with some foundation. For instance, you can say that um, Congressman A participated in the January 6th insurrection. And here are the text messages that he sent out during that time. So you're saying, okay, uh, it's slanted because whether you believe in the right or the left, but here's the documentation that says that he did that and how he did it. Um, so uh, I'm not looking for somebody not to, to tell me something and say, well, on this hand is this, on this hand is that. That's not telling me anything. If, if Another quick example. If a person lies to you, he's not giving this information. A lie is a lie, and it's a conscious effort to lie. Misinformation is, I got it wrong. No, I've deliberately told you a lie. So I, I believe in calling a lie a lie. And can journalists survive that? For example, uh, Brian Williams, who mm -hmm. I was very fond, with, fond of, Rehabilitated himself, I guess. Mm -hmm. Was 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 his talk about that episode? Well, you know, the, I I think sometimes uh, journal journalists are like all people. Uh, you would not have seen that rehabilitation happen in newspaper. Uh, once you screw up like that, you're pretty much toast. Um, and, and let's and let's remind our, our, our listeners. So Brian Williams, who ended up on MSNBC, mm -hmm. was the uh, the anchor of the NBC Nightly News. Mm -hmm. uh, he was in New Orleans uh, doing Katrina. He was in various other mm -hmm. uh, hot spots throughout the world, and uh, he would also was a very good guest on late night television. Mm -hmm. uh, and let's just say he embellished a few times too many. Yes. Yeah. He embellished, conflated mm -hmm. some things uh, and, and was caught on that. Yes. Like I say, if that had happened in the newspaper, that person's gone. Period. Never to return and never to be hired by another newspaper. But TV is held to a lower standard. But... And the has the stand, but the standards over the years have gotten low. I mean, Cronkite, yes. Cronkite wouldn't have, well, Cronkite wouldn't have gone on a late night talk show. Exactly, Cronkite was the epitome of a of a journalist journalist. Um, nobody in my mind for on TV has ever come close to holding his <coughs> underwear. <laughs> the most trusted man in America. Uh, it reminds me of Lyndon Johnson when he when he said, "We've lost Cronkite." We've lost the nation. And Cronkite did give his opinion of the, the famous uh, uh, time when he went to Vietnam mm -hmm. and, uh, and came back and, uh, and gave his uh, assessment, which was not on the evening news. Right. Everybody thinks it was on no, the evening news. It was a special report. And, and then he said, uh, and that gave you that line that you just talked about, mm -hmm. uh, he said something like, uh, in this reporter's opinion, uh, we have fought a good fight, and we should be leaving as a people uh, who fought this war with honor and should be pursuing a just peace. Right. And see, people don't, even though they know Walter Cronkite's name and his reputation on TV, he was a war correspondent Yes, mm -hmm. in World War II on the battlefield. So he saw all of, a lot of this stuff up close and personal. He knew what he was seeing. It wasn't like somebody, 
uh, parachuted him into an area with no information. He had been on the ground before. So he knew whether we were winning or losing or whether it was worth winning or whether it was even worth losing. Uh, and when he said that, the America's public opinion went. And at the same time, remember, we had demonstrations all over the country. Uh, the young people weren't, weren't, weren't buying it at all. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, my graduating class in high school was just shy of 500. And about 200 ended up in Vietnam. And more than 100 never came back. So it was an unpopular war. And to this day, people say, are you a veteran? I said, no, I came up during Vietnam. And they totally understand. We were, we were camel fodder. And we knew, if you read some uh, uh, books from that era of Lyndon Johnson, he knew we were going to lose that war. He knew he couldn't win it, but he couldn't get out of it until he decided, I ain't running no more. Let me leave this for Nixon to clean up. Well, and there's some evidence that, uh, that, that he had a peace deal, but Nixon sabotaged it. And, you know, Tricky Dick. <laughs> <laughs> he got his nickname rightfully. <laughs> but, you know, it's another thing is if you're going to come in my backyard, I've already, I mean, I've already kicked the Russians out. I've already kicked the French out. And you're going to come in, and there's a hubris in that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That we're the baddest nation on earth. What are these little people crawling around this country? What can they do to us? And there was this fear of communism, the domino theory, that if this country became communist, then this country would become communist. And then also, there was some evidence that uh, Ho Chi Minh really wanted to deal with the Americans. Mm-hmm. And there was a political assassination. There was some miscalculations on our part, and we and, and we all Ho Chi Minh wanted was his country to be freed from French domination, right? And right. he wanted a partner to help them with that. Uh, and and he was not necessarily from from the readings that I've mm-hmm. seen uh, bent on on communism being the the, the vehicle right. to make it happen. But right. if that was the case, that was the case. Mm-hmm. And we look what. When did the Vietnam War end? 40, 50 years ago? Um, Vietnam has been under communist rule since then. Have they been a threat to us? No, we're, they're a trading partner with us. A big time trading yeah. partner. We probably have some Vietnamese clothes on. Oh, for sure. For sure. So, you know, time heals all wounds. Uh, we fought Germany in the Second World War. They're our buddies today. We dropped two atomic bombs on Japan. Now you look around our streets and you're going to see a Japanese car everywhere you look, you know, if you don't see a German-made car. Uh, so some of these things are just temporary. Uh, so is this a cautionary tale then to, to circle all the way back from the start of our conversation to Ukraine that neither one of us will make, well, maybe you will, 50 years from now. Uh, Man, I don't think I'm going to make it that much. I'm 70 now. <laughs> Lord willing, I'll take every day I can get. But. Well, Rachel Robinson is, uh, the Jackie Robinson's widow, is going to be 100 uh, in, a, in a few months. And still beautiful. Oh, absolutely. She's still beautiful. Still beautiful. But, but uh, so the, the whole business about Ukraine and Russia, will time heal those wounds in terms of at least the way that we see those nations and and it does because generationally it has no other place to go Putin isn't going to be alive forever and if whoever follows him 
decides to go a different direction, uh, which I don't see happening for maybe another generation, um, Russia is still a land rich with resources. They're going to have to watch out for their own people um, and take care of their people because if they don't, they'll end up being a, just a large Venezuela. I, and my view is I think it will happen quicker than the generation. I think what will happen is that, uh, let's say Putin is toppled or whatever, mm-hmm. the, 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 he's not going to stay there. He can't. This, this, this is not sustainable. And so now you've got the Russian uh, people isolated. You've got the economy put on the sidelines. And we're capitalists. Folks like to make money. Nixon going to China had a lot of capitalists. Oh, for sure. Interplay with it from the Chinese side that we need to, like you said, provide for our people, modernize our, our country. And then from, from, the, from our side, here is an opportunity for us to make some money. Right. So there are two opportunities. One, uh, uh, Ukraine is decimated, so you've got to rebuild, we've got to rebuild that place. You've got to, right. The world's got to rebuild that place. And then secondly, as I was trying to allude to, there was money being made in Russia, capitalist money being made in Russia. That's a market we've got to go back to. And sure. So, and so I could see the next leader... Uh, being more conciliatory, being almost like a Gorbachev mm-hmm. in that, okay, I'm going to bring Russia back. And then the, the pendulum always shifts back but, 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 that you get another Putin uh, because that is kind of the way that, and I, and I don't mean to be to to, uh, to generalize or, or to stereotype, but it seems to be that that's, that's the way that society likes to have a strong Strong man, and I put that in air quotes. Right. But you, but you're going to have to have that transitional leader to get them back to the strong man, and and and, 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 and that's what we saw with Gorbachev and, and Yeltsin and those guys for a while. It might be Navalny. We don't know. Um, but when when the people are hurting, the leader is going to hurt. Uh, I guess the one, the cynic in me, when we say we're pledging two billion dollars to the Ukrainian war effort. Yeah, who's getting that two billion dollars? Well, there's going to be some. Yeah, there's you know, going to be some opportunities for people to make a whole lot of money there, anyway. But but right now, since we're giving them arms, we're paying our arms makers to make weapons for them. That is true. You know, and when we decide, uh, when the world decides to help rebuild Ukraine, uh, will it be the same thing we did in Iraq? We're going to blow it up so you can pay us to rebuild it. I hope it, do, it doesn't go down like that, but that's how it went down in Iraq. Our companies were making buku money. You know, I think you know, they, they made a mistake when they tried to say, oh, yeah, that oil that you got in the ground, uh, we got it. They said, no, 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 that's our oil. Um, but, you know, who's going to get those huge contracts to rebuild a country that's been bombed to the to rubble? Well, I, I, I like what you said. We kind of have it on both ways. We can give you the munitions and everything to blow it up, and we've got the expertise to help you build it back. So we can't lose. Right. But I think, we, I think sometimes Americans get it twisted, and we're not giving the Ukrainians anything. We're giving our arms manufacturers 
money to build arms that we're sending to Ukraine. So yes. they're happy because they're making money. Uh, they're apolitical in this. They're, they're saying, eh. Oh, you mean the arms manufacturer? Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure, we'll make it for you. Well, one other thing, and, and boy, this is, this is going to be a long podcast. I think <laughs> I hope, hope folks will enjoy listening to this one. Uh, I heard an interesting report this morning, and you may have heard it too, that uh, many of the Chinese weapons are based on the, on Russian platforms mm-hmm. yeah. and Russian technology. And the Chinese are beginning to see that you know, stuff that you guys have been making is not that good. And China has not been involved in a shooting war in which they have to actually use the stuff that they've built on Russian platforms of Russian technology. They have not been in a shooting war since 1978. Right. Before they invented most of the stuff they're shooting with. Exactly. And, of course, this is a this is a primer, perhaps, for the Chinese about, okay, we want Tehran, and we're going to have to invade it to get it. Uh, how, how's that going to play out for us? Well, you know, there's a... Uh, my wife and I have been to China, and the one thing that they are known for, they produce more engineers than we do as a nation. But their construction techniques are the materials don't come anywhere near our standards. You see these gleaming, beautiful buildings that from afar they look like they're all that. But if you walk up on them, they look like they're pitted. The pollution in the air has pitted their construction. They are noted, they are noted for uh, spectacular failures because they have not constructed things correctly. Um, it looks good for a while. And I think the same thing, you know, <laughs> the same thing has happened with the arms, man. Uh, they're built out of plastic and they should work, but they don't. Um, yeah, be careful. The M16 used to have uh, guards on it made by Mattel. <laughs> right. You know, and, the, you know, there, there's... When we were there, there was a big scandal because the bread that they were giving school children had materials in it that were bad for not just children, but for everybody. Um, China builds their malls vertically. The cheap stuff is on the bottom. The more, the higher the floor, the more expensive it is. If you don't buy something from a Chinese sanctioned floor, it'll, it'll break on you before you leave the country. And many in our group found that out. They're getting these Gucci purses and whatever. Didn't make it to the airport. Um, uh, my wife went back there with, with them to do some shopping. So I said, get me a shirt. Uh, I said, make it extra large. Uh, just in case they run a little small. Well, if that shirt was a medium, I'll be, uh, I, 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 I'll be Tiny Tim. Uh, <laughs> couldn't, couldn't even get it on. Wow. Yeah, so it might have been extra large for a Chinese person, but <laughs> not for me. <laughs> so their, their standards of quality um, uh, I wouldn't bet on it. So, yes, they're getting these aircraft carriers and building those. Well, they've never built an aircraft carrier before. How well will that go in battle, like you pointed out? I don't think very well. You know, um, they can shoot missiles into space. 
but you know even King Jong Un can do that. But can it really deliver on a target? Um, you know, we have global positioning satellites where we can directly pinpoint where this bomb is going to land. You would think the Russians have the same capability, but obviously not. Or they are just indiscriminately bombing. Well, I, I think they, I think they're doing some of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as you, as you said, because the theory of war is to break the will of the civilian population, right. and 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 that is a that is a a common theory of war. We talked about Sherman mm -hmm. at the top. That is a, a smart theory of war, except mm -hmm. when you find a populace like the Ukrainians, who it does just the opposite. Yeah, can you imagine where we would be? Uh, how the Ukrainians would be without Zelensky. His leadership has been exemplary. He's kept the matter before the world. He's always asking for more things that he should get. Uh, and he's kept the pressure on. Well, I, I think the difference is with him is that uh, he is the right person for the moment in terms of his knowledge and use of, of the media. He's an actor. Right. Right, and now he's an attorney too, but he's an actor. Right, so so he, for this moment, having skills and being in front of a camera, I think is highly good and important. Uh, I I would dare say that uh, a couple of days ago, maybe it was two weeks ago, or so uh, Obama came back to the White House. Mm -hmm. I don't yeah. know if you saw that, mm -hmm. and uh, and. And you could see the difference between the two presidents. And I'm sure Obama didn't mean to do it. No, no. He's just me and him. Exactly. And yeah. 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 But the, the, so there's something to be said for having, I think you're right, his leadership has been, been fantastic. But he had, he was the, he's got the right skill set of leadership right. for right now. And I will say this, seeing Obama back in the White House, my first thought, we went from that to Trump. But remember, Trump has a particular set of skills as well yes, in terms does. of being in front of a camera. Yes, he does. Um, and, and, and also using that for the grievance politics that he plays. And, uh, and, and so, I, like it or not, it's... It worked for him. It worked for him. Yeah, I mean, to, to get yourself elected president of the United States. Yeah, it worked uh, for him. No matter who you are, it's no small right. feat. It worked for him, but for the general American public to go from a family man, no scandals on the on the side, to basically one of the worst human beings I've ever heard or known about, that's quite a drop. Can you imagine if Ukraine had happened and and uh, Trump was president? Oh yeah, or or some of the previous Ukrainian leaders, right? Uh, right. Who who were more yeah yeah Zelensky yeah yeah Zelensky was the right guy. Now I'm also impressed now with I'm seeing the Russian I'm excuse me the, the the Ukrainian parliament. In with him came in a lot of Western facing Western forward people, right? Who 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 educated in the West or had mm -hmm. some Western leanings. Um, uh, and we're citizens of the world. There's this brigade of women now who speak of uh, various languages who have been deployed throughout the, the, the world mm -hmm. to talk to world leaders. That country, and I think I see why Putin saw this was such a threat, 
was emerging to be a legitimate power uh, that that was not going to threaten Russia from from a military military right. uh, standpoint, but would be able to defend its own. Right. But would certainly threaten them from an economic standpoint, uh, and and a side of and a, and a society of living standpoint. Exactly. Right across the board, the Russians say, you know, they have it pretty good. What's going on with us? Exactly. I don't know why the same thing doesn't happen with Finland, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's it's. Um, well, you got to remember, most of Russia, while it's the largest country on earth, most of it is uninhabitable. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and a lot of its population has been, again, uh, uh, hoodwinked, have heard nothing but the propaganda, right. believe nothing but the propaganda, uh, particularly if you talk to older Russians, uh, have not been outside the country, have not been probably even outside of their little region. Right. So uh, and 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 perhaps even poorly educated, and you know going back to the grievance politics, Russians rightfully have a chip on their shoulders that dates back to World War Two. Actually, dates back to World War One. That they've been the ones that had to, you know, during World War Two and one, they lost millions of their residents. You know, they're under siege. They're dying left and right, and. <clears throat> I, they they say, well, look, I know what y'all did before, you know. Now what you're going to do? So I understand that, and Putin has used that uh, to his to his. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, okay. Because he says, you know, there are Nazis over there. We got to get the Nazis. Right, out. right, exactly. Yeah, um, but it's 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 it is an ever interesting world that uh, by the next time we talk, they'll probably be something else. Uh, they're going toward looking at May 9th. Uh, which will they'll be commemorating their end of World War II. Uh, Putin will have to show his face then. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And he hasn't really shown his face in public since the pandemic. He's been inside with other folk. Right. Well, he, he did that huge rally in the stadium. But oh, that yeah, was, yeah. That was, but mm-hmm. that really was a stage to be. Right. Yeah. All right, well, great. Listen, it has been fantastic having this conversation. This will hold us for a while because uh, I'm going to the Holy Land starting um, May 2nd. So I'm going to be gone for two weeks, mm-hmm. and I'll be back. Uh, so th- we probably will not do this again until mid to late uh, May, so there will be a whole lot of other stuff to talk about. Well, what, I, what I'll be interested to hear is, is just your trip. So maybe you'll talk to me. Yeah. <laughs> maybe you'll ask. Maybe you ask. You. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, um, the Holy Land is, I think, where every Christian needs to go. Yeah, this is a pilgrimage. Yeah. And I'm and I'm really looking forward to it. And you know, it, you'll see a lot of cousins there. <laughs> you know, you've got your Arabs, you've got your Israelis, and they're really first cousins. Um, they come from the same bloodlines, and you'll come away wondering what happened. You know. Yeah. Uh, but to be able to walk on the same ground that Jesus walked. I mean, that's pretty heavy stuff. That's you got me choked up. That's real heavy stuff. That's I mean, that's, that's real heavy stuff. But um, again, thank you so much for for this time. I really appreciate it. Hey everybody, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast today. That ran a little long, but uh, we had a good time. Yeah. Until the next time we upload, blessings, peace, and love.
podcast is a production of To The Point Theological Media in association with the Greater St. Peter African Methodist Episcopal Church in Jonesboro, Georgia. The great team that produced this podcast include Annie Egram, Chandler Bland, and Erica Bland. Mel Bland is our executive producer with help from Cheryl, Maurice, and Vita Bland. GSPJonesboro.org is the new 24-7 home for content from Greater St. Peter. There you will find sermons, blogs, training classes, and a whole lot more. Check it out at gspjonesboro.org. I'm Arvin Bland, pastor of the Greater St. Peter African Methodist Episcopal Church in Jonesboro, Georgia. And to the next time we upload, blessings, peace, and love. Saints, it's your faithfulness to greater St. Peter that enables us to do the work of the Lord. There are four ways you can give to us. First, you can use Cash App at dollar sign G-S-P-A-M-E-C. Second, you can text to give at 770-284-0771. Third, you can use Zelly by typing greater St. Peter 9540 at yahoo.com Fourth and family You can mail your contribution to 9540 Fayetteville Road Jonesboro, Georgia 30238 Thank you and blessings <laughs>